Hello and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are, with me as your host, Sarah Poet. Now, if the word sacred is throwing you a little bit, that's okay. Have you had that moment as a modern woman where you went, wait, I left something of myself back there along the way? Well, if so, then you're already on a path of sacred remembering and you're actually in the right place. We know that modern women are rising, but we don't do it by fighting. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. And here in this space, we remember together through stories and tools and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Now let's begin. Hey, it's Sarah, the host here and the creator of Embodied Breath, my private practice where I use alchemical coaching and healing methodologies to help you live into your full truth so that you can be who you desire to be in the world. I believe that every woman has a truth that she's not yet telling and that to own that truth changes and even saves her life. At sarahpoet.com, you'll find trauma-sensitive tools, practices, meditations, my TEDx for modern women, an e-course for women to shift from silence into sacred truth, my blog with many more personal stories, information on conscious relationship and my work with couples and sacred union, links to working with me in various durations privately for leadership coaching and otherwise. You can schedule a consultation right there on the website if that's for you. Everything changes when we align to the truth of who we are, when we stop identifying with our old stories and traumas, and when we own that sacred truth and claim the path of sacred remembering for ourselves. I believe that it is the formula for everything from personal alchemy to planetary shifts. Thank you for being here, and thank you for helping to create change with your life at this time. Hello, good people. So good to make contact with you this week. Thank you for tuning in. There's a wonderful interview ahead. I interviewed Jetty Azuma a few weeks ago, and uh, this was a part of the Mothers series that I did that was for May of 2020, and uh, I had six interviews, so we have one in June, uh, but I really wanted to include Jetty in this series that that we did on the mother, the mother archetype and mothers and honoring the mother and just really the divine feminine. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time watching men's movements. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time asking, well, why do we have the separation between genders? And, uh, you know, what is it, those traumas from our childhood and the traumas in our society that keep us separate? And as this podcast goes live, we have unfortunately, quite a bit of evidence of that continued separation in our culture uh, among people. And I'll leave that at that for right now. But 
I look for examples of people who are bridging divides, honestly, with their hearts. And uh, Jetty Azuma is someone who really uh, inspires me in that way, uh, actually inspires me to do better in that way. Um, so when I look at men's movements, I really want to see men acknowledging their relationship with the feminine, the feminine archetype, you know, the feminine inside of women, all of that. And a lot of men's movements don't do that work because uh, this is just my like opinion or assessment at this point. It's just, it's not the introductory work, right? I mean, you might be doing some work around your mother in initial men's group practices, but you know, work around your relationship with the deeper archetypal feminine is pretty rare, uh, in men's work. I'm happy to be proven wrong there, guys. If you're listening and you want to point some things out to me, help me learn about that. Um, but Jetty, I see, I see him building connection. I see him asking, you know, encouraging and hard questions. I see him saying, Hey, let's, let's unite. And I also see him as a husband and a father who is just really holding this mm, reverence and devotion for the feminine and for the archetypal mother um, in his being. And so thank you so much, Jetty, for living in the way that you live and for being here for this interview. I'm going to get you all Jetty's bio and then we will begin the interview. Um, I do want to say quickly that uh, next week begins season two of the podcast. And I hope that you all come back and uh, drop a review and um you know, get in touch with me in any way. If you appreciate this interview, let me know what you appreciated, what you want to hear more of, how I can be serving with this podcast. Uh, and just thank you so much for being here. As a newly minted college grad and healthcare professional, Jetty soon began to experience the pain of having no sense of higher purpose or meaning in his life a life-changing run-in with the law and his own deep personal reflections sent him on a 3,000-mile journey across the country to discover meaning. From silent meditations to fasting in the wilderness for four days and nights, Jetty discovered the importance of men's circles and rites of passage and has since dedicated his life to providing these opportunities for other men seeking their purpose. Jetty is the creator of the Rising Man Movement, one of the founding fathers of the Conscious Man Brotherhood, CMB, and the Man Cave. He leads men on rites of passage journeys to initiate an entire generation of men and to mold the leaders of future generations. He is a husband, father, martial artist, and mentor to men of all ages. Hey, Jetty, welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Honored to be here. I love hearing a man's voice talking back to me. You're only the second man that I recorded for the podcast, so thank you. 
Oh yeah, that's great. I, I know the feeling. I have usually have men on my podcast, and you were one of the first women I had. So yeah, yeah, it was honors. number four. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Deep Powell. Yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah, you are the founder and creator of this rising man movement, and I have just had a lot of deep respect for the work that you're doing, and um, I enjoy getting to know you better. So thanks for being here. This this week to talk about the mother in any and all aspects. And we're going to talk about, you know, man and woman relations. We'll talk about masculine feminine. We'll talk about the great mother. I mean, wherever this conversation goes, we're just going to follow the, um, the muse here. So, Hmm. you know, sacred remembering we say on this podcast is modern women waking up to the truth of who they are. But I know that there was a major awakening um, in your life after you had gone to college and, you know, joined a career. And then I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that awakening and how you came to men's work. Sure. Uh, Well, I'll keep it as brief as I can, and then we can go into it if you like. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I found is that thematically in my life, I had, I was actually fortunate to have Uh, quite a few number of men in my life who were great examples of manhood and masculinity. But by the time I reached my early twenties, I I still feel like if, if I was, if I was painting a portrait of the man I wanted to be, I had only gotten a few of the sketch marks of the outline of what that man would look like. And I felt incomplete and I didn't know where to go to find those men. So much like other men who don't have that elder mentorship or haven't found the men that they're looking for at that stage of life, I started numbing myself because I was feeling the pain of not having a purpose, not knowing who I was. So I was, uh, I was numbing myself with weed and tobacco and anything I could to distract myself from what was really the truth deep down because it was really painful to face off with. I didn't know what to do with it. And it all came to a, a dark, damp bottom when I found myself spending a night inside of a New York City uh, holding cell because I got arrested. In, in the city for smoking weed and then having a, having a weapon on me. And, you know, I, here I was, I was the kid who never had detention <laughs> when I was wow. in, a, when I was in school and it was, it was really kind of a fluky thing. You know, I wasn't doing anything criminal per se, um, but it, it was just kind of wrong place, right time. So um, that really woke me up because I said, wow, I, I, this is not who I thought I was or who I thought I would become. How did this happen? And I had a whole night to sit in there thinking about it because I was surrounded by, you know, 12 other men that had done far worse things than I did to be to end up there. And I, I, for a moment, I just said, wow, this is really not where I want my life to go. Something else has to, something has to change. And I began from that moment, uh, putting, setting myself up to take an adventure to go find, to basically seeking eldership, seeking the support of mm-hmm. mentors and men that I could look into for what I needed in my life. And that led me on a... 3000 mile journey across the country to the West coast and the Southwest for four months. I traveled around with a backpack and eventually I found, I had many experiences, but eventually I found a circle of men here in California that just really seemed right. And Mm. simultaneously I met my wife who I'm sure we'll talk a bit about today as well and realized that this was the place where I needed to be for the foreseeable future. So spending time. Yeah. So you just had this, you had a knowing that it was mentorship and eldership that was missing. How, how do you think you knew that? Well, 
in New York City, I had a tremendous community of of my brothers and sisters who I loved dearly, and and we were we were growing together. We were all we would all meditate. We would all do some pretty progressive things as a community. But at some point, I realized that the mistakes we were making individually and collectively were because there was nobody with more life experience to show us something different. So I think I always describe it as the blind leading the blind, mm-hmm. and. For some reason, I guess after many months of contemplating this, it just dawned on me, oh, where are the elders? And I had one man in my life that I really respected at that time. He was actually the father of one of my best friends, who was a kind of that representation of a progressive and alternative lifestyle, but making it work as an adult. And you know, my, my father and my uncles and the other men in my life were far from that, much more conservative. So but that even that one example of that man, and I didn't get to see him very often, it just wasn't quite enough. So I, mm-hmm. I think just how I felt around him and recognizing, oh, well, if I could find about 10 of this guy who could all give me something a little bit different, I think I would yeah. be in a better place. Beautiful. So that's, that's how it struck me. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then you quested for that and found it. And, you know, I'm wondering if for for listeners who don't know about rites of passage or just, you know, what would have happened in a more traditional culture that we're missing in our culture and why that's important for boys and men. If you could just speak to that for a moment, even generally, I know like it's the pool that you swim in the deep end of mm-hmm. all the time, but you know, we're missing that in our culture and you're a part of a movement that's really bringing that back. Thank you. And mm-hmm. Like, why? I mean, I, I know from the standpoint of a, being a mother, raising a boy, um, you know, I'm, I'm aching for more experiences like this for him. And, um, and I imagine that many people feel the absence of it, but don't know what this thing is that's missing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me speak into this a little bit. For anyone and this is men or women, but for specifically for men, those of us who feel it and don't know what it is, it's because every single one of us in this generation has been outrageously underprepared for the rigors and challenges of life. And at the purest essence of what a rite of passage or an initiation ceremony is, is to manifest an ordeal that an individual must go through in order to earn the right to stand on the other side of that experience. Now, life will deliver us many different initiations and rites of passage, um, getting married, having your first child, losing a loved one or a parent. These are all other definitions of a rite of passage. But the one that you go through that prepares you and, and, and marks you as an adult in our society, we're just not ready. And, and if we don't have that experience with the support of a community, with the support of elders and uncles and, and father-like figures who know what it's like to go through that, then we're left to be initiated by the world. And the world is much less forgiving. So going all the way back, this is a ceremony and a ritual that many, many tribal and village peoples would do because they knew that in order to prepare the next generation of adult men, they needed to put them through something really rigorous and challenging, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in order to be able to handle all the things that would inevitably come up as part of being a protector, a provider for, for their family and for their people. Yeah. Thank you. And then when I was on your podcast, we talked a lot about the school system and how, you know, 
what our young men are doing is going through a school system that doesn't inherently understand the need for these rites of passage. I mean, it's not a part of our school system yet. I mean, I have hope, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, yeah, we're, we're under preparing men, but we're also setting them up for something else. And so there's, there's a rude awakening a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I think that, we, because eventually this always comes back to a societal dialogue. You know, what have we done as a society? Are we, are we content with the society and the culture that we've created that we're passing on to our kids? I know I wasn't, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not satisfied. And that's why my wife and I have chosen to raise our children around other families who raise their children in an alternative lifestyle, because we really believe that to prepare our kids for the world that we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what's coming. We've got to give them more than they get in tra- than, than we got, than I got in traditional schooling. I felt like when I got spit out into the world, I had everything going for me at that, at going back to my story, I had everything. I had a, I had a doctorate degree, had a great paying job. I had an apartment in the city. I was paying all my bills and I never felt more incomplete, empty and abandoned in my life. Mm. I had a great community of friends. I had everything on paper that, you know, the American dream, exactly what a lot of families still want for their children. And I was completely unprepared for life, you know, practical things. I didn't know how to do my taxes. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do my taxes. I didn't know how to, I didn't know what it meant to start a business. I didn't know what it meant to be entrepreneurial. I didn't know what it meant to really be a critical thinker in the world. And I was farther ahead than most of my peers in college because mm-hmm. I was part of a social justice program and in, in school and all of these things. And yet I was still so unprepared <laughs> for life. For so life. that's, I, I think that's really what it comes down to is that we're not giving children what they need. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So back to your story, you went out West from, mm-hmm. from New York and you meet your tribe and you meet your wife or your future wife. Mm-hmm. And how old were you? I was 25. Okay. So you're pretty young in my yeah. judgment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Okay. So I'm really curious about the rite of passage of coming into relationship with this woman who would become your wife. And, you know, what was it apparent that you were underprepared for or that you were really ready for. I mean, what was that like? And I'm, I'm also curious about her path, but she's not here. So I don't want to, you know, only, only share what feels comfortable, obviously. Sure. Sure. But yeah. Where did you meet one another? Like on, on that life path? Well, like I said, I was 25 and I was, um, I was beginning this phase of my life where I was looking outward for, for the wisdom that I needed, that I knew I needed internally. I was trying, I was, it's like I had a magnet or like a homing beacon and I was just following where that beacon would light up. So prior to meeting her, I had a number of experiences. I did, I did a Vipassana 10 day retreat. I spent some time on the Diné reservation with some elders out there. Um, so I was really in a gathering mode. And when I met my wife, she was, and she is still six years older than me. She had, um, she was in the beginning, beginning of her thirties and had just completed a coaching course to be certified as a, as a life coach. And so she was really into that world. So she was, she was very much had done her work, had really done a lot of work to prepare herself. And her mindset was that she was waiting for her, her partner. 
she had gone through the dating thing all through her twenties and had had a, you know, had gotten to a point where she was really ready to to find the guy who was the right match. She just didn't, she didn't anticipate that it would be someone looking like me. Cause I was, I looked like Captain Jack Sparrow. I'd been on the road and I had, you know, big <laughs> earrings and my hair was in a wrap and I wore some baggy pants. I was kind of like a, a traveling gypsy young man. And, um, you know, so when I, what I was, what I wasn't prepared for, cause I think that was your question was, I wasn't prepared to meet the love of my life. I, I really thought that I was about to venture on a journey, uh, a solo journey for a while. Cause I had just left a relationship six months prior mm. and I wasn't really prepared to step fully forward into a lifetime of commitment, even though I knew that's what I ultimately wanted. Mm. I just, I just didn't think it was going to happen so soon. So there's a little bit of catching up, although I, I always was looking for my soulmate. So as soon as I met her and I was like, wow. And, and so many of the things that I had imagined wanting in a partner lined up and she had a list of things that she was looking for in a partner, a little, a literal three pages of uh, a legal <laughs> pad back and back in front. She said, okay, well, these are my standards that I'm looking for in a man. I was like, wow, uh-huh. that's impressive. And a little bit intimidating. Um, but I was, I was such a good match by her standards and I, and I was so captivated by her and the possibility of a life that we talked about. So so I went for it. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of catching up to do. I, I had, I've had to learn a lot about what it means to be in relationship, to be fully reverent and supportive of, of a woman. And, um, and that's just as a husband and a partner, but then, you know, fatherhood, I, I don't know. It's been, it's been, it was a lot more in, instinctual in the beginning and it still continues to be, but I've, I've also had a great opportunity to surround myself with and continue to surround myself with great men that have shown me exactly what I needed over the past seven years. Mm, Beautiful. So when it came to being in relationship with a woman, you had male mentors that were guiding you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And and not, not guiding me in a way where it was like, do this, do that more. So, uh, like a reflective guidance that, that I really respect about, um, elders and mentors. And that's what I try to do with the men that I work with is uh, I believe that a man has all the truth and knowledge that he has needs to see inside of him. Sometimes he just doesn't have access to it. So uh, that particular type of mentorship is unique because there's a lot of people out there who have wisdom, but their way of delivering it to uh, people doesn't really prepare the, the mentee or the student will say to think for themselves and to be able to be self-reflective if we're always just, and this goes back to the teaching model. I think, I think Mm -hmm. you and I spoke about this, that if we're always just telling people how it is and not encouraging them to think critically, to ask questions, to be reflective, then they're always going to depend on someone or something to deliver them that information. Yeah. So that's, that's an important distinction. Yeah. I could go down that road in like 10 different ways from being a teacher Mm -hmm. to like, you know, I mean, I still catch myself doing that. I'm like, Oh, what would be the answer to this? Let me look in a book. And, and it's just, it's so ingrained, you know, and then it's like, no, let me go sit by the river and listen, or Hmm. let me talk to a trusted friend or, or elder if we're, if we're blessed with that. So absolutely. You know, you brought up the topic of reverence and, Mm. Um, and I want to go there and just kind of open that up to you. You said you needed to learn to be reverent of a woman and, you know, again, I'm just sort of like, so I imagine that I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 39 this year and I've 
been through a marriage and quite a few soulmate relationships. And um, when I hear someone who's like discovering reverence for a woman at a younger age, like from, you know, 25 to, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, yes. Wow. How did that happen? Tell us more. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's hopeful and it's beautiful and it's such a deep and abiding and very much needed um, concept. And so if you could talk about how you came to that, that'd be Mm -hmm. beautiful. Well, I really like being married. (laughs) <laughs> and, and the only way to stay married <laughs> is to find reverence and respect for your partner. That goes both ways. Uh, so that, that became apparent to me when I, early on in our relationship, this is before we had children. I, and, and I got this reflection from men. So that's, that's another ode to that. But I, I realized that I thought I was being respectful. I thought I was being loving and kind and gentle and nurturing and understanding to my wife because I got I had a, a lot of respect for women coming from uh, being raised by my mom in a good way. But it was very sneaky how often and subtly I would make it about myself. Mm-hmm. When I thought I was making it about her, when I thought I was doing what she needed or showing up as how she needed me to be, uh, I wasn't. I was really doing what was in my best interest, but mm. calling, but pretending it was something else. Do you have an so, example of that? Oh gosh, too many. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. um, so for, I guess a, a very general example would be if, if there was something that needed to be done and I did it because I know that she had at some point said she wanted that thing done. Let's say it was, you know, cleaning up the yard and I would go and I would clean up the yard without her knowing and she would be out of the house and come home and she, you know, for whatever reason, maybe she had a, you know, she got in a fight with her mom on the way home and she comes home and I'm, she steps into the house and meets me in the backyard and she sees me cleaning and didn't acknowledge that I was cleaning the backyard, didn't thank me for cleaning the backyard and was just in a really ratty mood. I would take it personally. And in my mind, I'm saying, how come you don't notice or give thanks for me cleaning the yard? I could have done a million other things for myself, but I did this for you. The sneaky part about that is that some part of me, was doing that because I wanted her to be happy and to validate me and to acknowledge me for what I had done. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that there were many different examples of how that showed up. And I still get must get caught in doing that from time to time mm-hmm. uh, because part of the masculine, I believe is a deep, deeply rooted desire to be of service to the feminine. So whenever we feel like we failed on that with our plan, whatever our plan might be, it can be devastating. So in order to survive a relationship, in order to navigate, because eventually she would find a place to be really grateful and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't even notice. I was just so caught up in the fight I had with my mom and I just need to get it out. And really she just needed to be where she was emotionally. She didn't have room or space to jump into gratitude and awe for my, my, my raking of the yard. <laughs> right. But you know, if I'm not patient and if I'm not listening, if I'm not aware then I think about myself and how I feel. And that's not something that you just turn on overnight. That comes from Mm -hmm. many, many repetitions of practice, of patience, and having a partner who is also, I mean, on on her end as as a female, she married a younger man. And, you know, I'll give myself a little bit of credit. I had definitely done a lot of work and I was was a mature 25-year-old when she met me, but I was still a kid. I was Mm -hmm. still very much 
finding my way out of my adolescence, at least for the first few years of our relationship. Mm-hmm. And so she was, she was patient. She was willing. She was, um, she was willing to let me catch up to the man she saw in me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that because otherwise I don't think it would have been possible. Um, so yeah. Wow. And that, that really is a testament to you, the depth of the soul union for sure. Yeah. You, you said something that I want to go back to about the masculine wanting to be in service to the feminine. And yes. I think that this gets really muddy uh, in modern relationships for some of the reasons that you were referencing in your example or alluding to in your example. But it almost seems to me like there are immature or unconscious um, representations of that, that wanting to be in service to the feminine, uh, you know, maybe as in your example, like here I'm, I'm raking the yard for you, but there's the shadow element of like, also for me, you know, and then there's, there's like a more um, I'll say mature or conscious service to the feminine and the potential for men to come into that without being tripped up by that, like, well, are my needs being met too? And are you, you know, that, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. So how, how else would you talk about that? Like that, that maturation process? Oh boy. Well, I think the simplest way of putting it is because it's different for every man too of how you find your way there there's there's a whole history that everyone has men and women that cause us to show up a certain way as adults and we can't go back and and rewrite our history we can only take the raw materials that we have and make the most of it so i think if i'm simplifying it it's finding a way to genuinely be of service to other people which requires to not think of ourselves first, um, which doesn't mean to ignore yourself because there's also mm-hmm. neglecting oneself. And that doesn't, that also doesn't prepare you to be of service to people. You gotta, mm-hmm. I had to learn how to take care of myself to the point where I was already taken care of when my wife needed me to show up for her. Mm-hmm. And I could talk a little bit more about that, but just to keep yeah, it simple, mm-hmm. um, I think that where I see most men tri- getting tripped up and then sparking these exchanges with their partner is that they've not adequately taken care of themselves enough. They don't, we don't, I didn't love myself enough when I first met my wife, I had to find my way to that. So we always look for something outside of us to fill that hole, to fill that mm-hmm. void. Mm-hmm. And as long mm-hmm. as, as long as that exists, then, and we're looking for that from our partner, we end up getting these, this weird, twisted, psycho, psychological, whatever you want to call it, where we, we look for our partner to be our mother yeah. who will give us that unconditional yeah. love. And I don't, I I only minored in psychology in college, so I won't try to dissect that one, but it, I see it show up everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then eventually you're looking for someone to take care of you instead of the other way around. Although right. when I get down to it, because I've spoken with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men, everyone, even, even guys who've done some really horrible things to women in their lives, they just wanted to show and express love and they didn't know how. Yeah. They didn't know how. So I think that's another important thing in, t- in speaking of how we raise children is to show them how to love a woman, how to really take care of, protect, and uh, provide. Because providing doesn't just mean you know 
putting money in the bank and food on the table. It's so much more than that. And that's also something I didn't know when mm-hmm. I was, you know, in my mid twenties. Mm. Yeah. Oh, there's so, there's so much that you just covered right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That service to the feminine being, um, if a man is looking for that to define who he is, you know, that's often indicative of that, what I'd call the mother wound, like you're just talking about. And, um, that can be just like a never ending, Uh, I'll say trap, you know, for a man um, and, and a woman in a heterosexual relationship, because the man is just looking to please. It's like, he's looking for his own definition of who he is through how much he can please her. And she is ultimately probably looking for him to stand in his own sense of self. But that trap is really like, I mean, it's really subconscious. It's really hard to break. And, and, um, you know, most like marriage counselors aren't really talking about that, you know, that's like union psychology a little bit more than sure. You know, that like, oh, I'm projecting the, the mother or the father and, and hoping that you fill what wasn't filled for me before. Well, and, and let's look at the, let's look at the other side of the coin. I know you gave me that invitation before we started. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How many, how many women out there who are listening are guilty of mothering their partner? Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We could just leave it at that. Just be in that question. Where in your life have you gone and, and tried to mother your partner? for one reason or another, because that instinct is just so strong. It's so Mm -hmm. strong. It's so strong. And that, and I'm going to say it's the default in our culture. Hmm. I would even go so far as to say it's the default. Hmm. Um, Because like I watched, (laughs) I was like, do I want to open up this can? Uh, But like I, I watched the generations of women who came before me in my family modeling that, but also resenting men for that. And so that's what I did in my marriage, you know, which I've, which I've said before, um, here on the podcast. And I think that like the urge to mother, I mean, oh my gosh, like I lost a child at the age of 19 and my ex-husband lost his mother as a teenager for a period of time. So we were just like, <laughs> we were like hooked in that mother wound and that, that projection of, um, of mothering. But I think what you bring up is super important for a primarily female audience to hear because we shouldn't be mothering our partners. Like we shouldn't be, which is, so let's dive there because there are different facets of that. And then there's like different ways that women show up that, you know, in the whole of the feminine that really is nourishing for men. That's a pleasure to discover sort of like down the road past that mothering um, instinct. So yeah. What would you say to that? Well, you know, my, my specialty is, is in working with men. So oftentimes I'm speaking to men about how they can prepare themselves to be in relationship with a woman. So in, in speaking to women or to women, the most important thing I think is to hold a high standard for the, for the type of partner that you're choosing and to take responsibility for the partner that you do choose. Uh, if you're in a relationship right now and you really look at your partner and you decide, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with a, a guy who hasn't really made it into adulthood. He hasn't really 
blossomed or bloomed into that adulthood that we've described here on the on the podcast today, then then the likelihood is that your maternal instincts will fire in and then you'll resent him for not having matured into the adult that you really need him to be. So it's, it's tricky because it's multi-layered. Uh, there's, there's the work that we have to do as a society to prepare men, to prepare boys to become men and to pre- prepare girls to become women. And then there's also the work that we can do individually in raising the standard for our relationships. And there's so many re- failed relationships that are just because uh, of a level of immaturity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot, there's a lot to that immaturity too. It's, it's a lot more than what I think most people think. Yeah, it's really deep. And I mean, in the absence of these rites of passage, and I mean, that takes time, right? So what would you say to a woman who is in a long-term relationship or in a marriage where she potentially sees this, you know, this man for who he inherently is, who he deeply is on a soul level, like you mentioned, your wife did for you, mm-hmm. Um and maybe the man doesn't quite want to come along yet, or there has been this history of mothering him. And so there's a little bit of like resentment on his part. So I hear from a lot of women who would like them and their partners to work with me and my couples coaching Mm -hmm. and it's like the woman is ready to come and the, and the man is like, I, I don't want intervention. I don't, I don't, I don't know what that's going to entail. I'm, I'm nervous about that. Like I'm not coming to that table. So I know that there are women craving for their men to show up differently. Mm-hmm. And yeah. What, what's advice right there? Uh, well, uh, something that I've I've come to appreciate is that, uh, and this is just my belief, I, um, is that the feminine is a lot of the a lot of the feminine is directed and guided by fear from a baseline level, just just mm-hmm. fear of am I safe, am I okay, physically, mentally, emotionally, whereas the masculine tends to operate from from shame. Mm-hmm. So when you look at you know typically if we're saying masculine, usually we're, in this case we're talking about men. Uh, if, if a man in, in that scenario, you just illustrated, if a woman is saying, Oh, this will be really great for our relationship. And she says, honey, I really want you to do some work. I really want you to step into this with me immediately in a man's brain. It says, Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm damaged goods. I'm not good enough for her. And as soon as a man feels ashamed of himself, there's like a steel vault of over his heart that gets closed up. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of these abusive, um, violent, aggressive, negative behaviors come through f- for men in their relationships is that they just feel such a deep sense of shame that we, we protect our heart. And the way that we do it is very, I don't know, it's very uh, unconscious. It's very unconscious. Mm-hmm. So for women, you know, if I'm speaking to women, you got to remember that inside of every man is a little boy, a little boy who was wounded, a little boy who had traumas and experiences that you'll never really understand. And you probably don't even know the depths of, because again, I've talked to hundreds of men. Every yeah. single one of us is carrying around something that nobody else in the world knows about us Yeah, that we've never told because we're so afraid of what would happen to us if people found out. So 
just, just knowing and appreciating who you have in front of you and that when his heart is open, cause you probably saw it, it's probably how you fell in love with him in the first place, that that's really who he truly is. And so I don't know exactly what that looks like for each relationship, but your job is to find a way to make it safe for him to open that door. You can't open the door for him. You can't forcibly open it by gaining leverage on him or shaming him into opening his door. But uh, more of a uh, more of a sense of just feeling that it's okay that that who he is 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 okay, and all even if you're not willing to settle for certain things, continuing to be that way. It's mm. it's a very uh, relationship is very tricky. That's something that I've learned. I mean, I've been married for it's going to be six years this year, and every year, every day, I learn something new about what it mm. means to be married. So there's. You also have got to have a willingness to to learn and to not pretend like you know everything because feeling like you know everything in a relationship is poison for the relationship. That's what I found. Yeah, I I really appreciate you just highlighting that relationship is growth. I mean, it has to be because oh, yeah. we want relationships that last and uh, satiate those soul longings. It, it really has to be about growth, yeah. but you know, going back to that fear and shame piece too that you're saying, I think you know, when the feminine is in the heart, when the, when the woman is in the heart, that's when she's going to be able to see that, that scared little boy on the ins or shamed little boy on the inside and, right. and, um, you know, love. Um, and that's what the feminine, I mean, we can all do that so well, but that's what we know to do inherently, but that um, defaulting, to fear, um, especially when it's about provision, protection, you know, the things that we want from men and the masculine, when it doesn't look like we're going to get those things, we are more likely to go into fear and then more likely go to go into the mothering and the scolding. And then he's more likely to go into the shame. And so these are really vulnerable and tender places that strike right to our core wounding for many, mm-hmm. many um, folks. So bringing this consciousness to relationship and um, the safety and vulnerability to be able to be in those places and, and evolve together. Um, yeah. And I want to, before we move on from that, I want to just say it's, it's also important to recognize that that, that can swing too far in the other direction too. I think this is what we see a lot in, women who find themselves in abusive relationships and continuously make excuses or pardon their partner for his behavior. I'm not suggesting that we excuse any of the behavior that a man exhibits, especially if it's destructive to the relationship or harmful or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that any human does that's harmful to someone else definitely needs to be, they need to be held accountable for that. But I'm speaking to the other side of it because I think that's what we've done as a society for too long Mm -hmm. is we've made, every man wrong for not knowing what to do with his emotions or not knowing how to, how to conduct himself when he's, when he's triggered and sparked, but that doesn't mean we make, we excuse it. It doesn't mean we Mm. excuse it. And so I think another role of women is to be loving and kind and compassionate, but also know where to draw your line and say that I won't stand for this. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's a really empowering thing for women. So I'm, I'm, I'm a huge supporter and advocate of that because it, it forces us to, to step up and raise our game as men. We don't, we don't rise to the occasion until we have to. 
Mm-hmm. That's I think that's just a law of the natural world. You know, most most animals they don't just go you know do, doing sprints and and lifting weights to get stronger and faster. They conserve mm-hmm. their energy, and I, I think that's uh, our basic instinct too is to conserve what we have until called upon. So <laughs> yeah. unless unless the bar is raised higher, men typically won't shoot for it. Yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. I have this blog post sitting in my draft folder on my computer about um, (laughs) the frogs in the pond in the springtime here on the farm where I live. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my partner is a biologist and ecologist. And so he was telling me how, like why the the frogs were croaking Mm -hmm. and um, the frogs were croaking because that's how the males get the attention of the females. And so all spring you're hearing the males just croaking and croaking and fighting each other because they want the attention of the females and like to be chosen is the only game in town. I mean, that is like what spring in the pond is all about. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, we're not doing this as women. We're not, we're not (laughs) relying on biology enough. I don't think that we're holding the bar Mm -hmm. um, high enough to say, you know what? Like I, I get to choose, I get to, I get to see the potential and elevate us all. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's just a little bit for, for the female audience, maybe to say like, you know, it's not about scolding. It's not about like being on a high horse, but it is like believing that we can elevate together and holding that vision, um, and doing it together. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if, if any of us are going to be someone who raises the bar or calls people to a higher standard, we better believe, we better make sure that we're living that standard first. There's a lot of that going out there too, of, you know, pointing the finger and telling people that they need to show up stronger, be, be better. And a lot of times it's not backed up. (laughs) It doesn't sound like it. So if you're actually in your heart and you've actually done the work, it doesn't actually sound like that. (laughs) No, no, no. Cause you know, cause you know what it takes to, to get, to get yourself there. Right. And if you right. if you've really done the work, then you're compassionate. You remember what it's like to not know, to be right. completely blind to it, to have no idea. Yeah, I, I agree. That's that's yeah. a good indicator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And all of the things that we're talking about takes time. I mean, takes takes years and takes soul work and takes like a continual it's a way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the time I hear men, sweet, sweet men who go on like one rite of passage weekend and come back and think that they're like done. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. no, but the contrary, <laughs> no, you know, keep going. You just so, started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So beautiful. So as we, um, I think I have two more questions for you. I, I would love to hear you talk about raising your children. You have a, a little boy and a one-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, anything you want to say about consciously raising, raising them? I'm very interested <laughs> in hearing. And then I have one, one more question after that, but any, cool. anything you want to share? Uh, well, before, before we had children, I used to say that marriage is the single most the best personal development course that you could ever take. And it's not for everybody, but that, and then we had kids and I said, wow, no parenthood raising children is definitely because it brings up all your stuff. It, it, it definitely has for me. It's brought up all of my challenges, all of my childhood wounds um, so much. 
raising a son has been interesting because I want him, I think my, my job as a, as a father is to prepare him for the world. And I think a lot of fathers, whether they know it or not, they think they, they kind of take that on. So we, we project ourselves into our sons a little bit and, and mm. we remember what we, what we didn't feel prepared for. So we try to bolster that in them. And, and I, in the beginning, I failed to realize that he, he came into the world with his own conscious and his own karma. So I've had to really learn to get to know him before I try to give him what I think he needs and uh, yeah. balance that out with some things that we all need too. Um, but so that's, that's raising a son, a daughter. Um, I'm one of those dads that just melts in my daughter's hands. She has that way with me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I told my wife the other day, cause we were like, what is it? What is it? Why are, why are dads and, and fathers always have that, that kind of relationship with their daughters? And my truth is that I get the purest form of that feminine love that I've always been looking for from mm. her, especially in this stage where she's just a one-year-old and she doesn't know how to do anything other than just be purely. And she's so feminine. She's feisty too, but she's, she's just so feminine. So it just melts my heart. Cause it's like, that's what I've always wanted from mm. my mom. That's what I've always wanted from my wife, from every woman in my life. And as adults, obviously things get a little more complicated. So I've never heard a man say that before. Yeah. Well, but that's, but that's the connection to the daughter. Yeah. And that's, a, that's sense. at least what's true for me. I think, I think it does. I think it does make sense, but yeah, you know, um, raising children has been tremendous. I've learned so much about myself and I think it's, it, you know, when I often, when I get a chance to introduce myself on one of these shows, I usually say, well, first and foremost, I'm a husband and I'm a father. Cause those are the only two jobs that I think matter at the end of the day. Uh, everything else I do is icing on the cake, cherries on top. So for anyone out there who is in a marriage or a committed partnership and or raising children, then, you know, you know, you, you, I mean, hopefully you recognize just how important that job is because that's the, that has so much influence on the way that we relate to each other and the legacy we pass on for how we connect. And my, I know my children see it. They, they're watching my wife and I all day, especially now in the quarantine time, they're watching us all day. So we have to be very, very conscious of what we're, what we're showing them and not, not just, not just showing them the good stuff too. We, we, when we have to really go and have a, one of those really challenging conflicting conversations, we usually keep that to ourselves, but we, we let them see us contending with each other in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. And um, so the kids also caught, force us to raise the bar because we want to give them the best. Mm, yeah, that modeling is so important and not just modeling, having it all together. Yep. Yep. For yep. sure. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Because, you know, regardless of gender and it's not, obviously it's not just a binary, but um, regardless of gender, giving one another the permission to show up as you are in this moment and say, I'm here, I'm going to learn with you. I'm going to grow with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to sit beside you. Um, you know, that's all, that's all we can really hope for because we're not entering into the world or <laughs> relationships, um, you know, perfect and, and there is no such thing. And so just modeling and being with the people in your family and your house and that way of, I'm, I'm willing to be here with you. It's so beautiful. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and also, I don't think anybody should get married unless they can look themselves in the, in the mirror and say that you're really ready to accept everything about your partner, really ready to accept. And, and to know that there's some things about your partner that just won't change. And will you accept them? Because a lot of people are expecting that 
people will change over time. We can grow mm. for sure, but there's some things that don't change. There's some things that are just part of who we are. Yeah. Full acceptance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So um, the, I think the last question that I have is, I, I mean, I, I could definitely talk for a much longer time, but in, in, in respecting of everyone's time, um, you know, one of the things that fascinates me the most about women's work and men's work and, and this path is the relationship of men and men's work to the sacred feminine. And in my opinion or in my judgment, I think a lot of men's work is missing this. Um, but I also think it's not, it's not the first thing on a path to reclaiming that sacred masculine in a man. I think it's like something that you come back around to. Mm. Um, and so I would just love to hear you talk about that relationship to the sacred feminine or inquiry or what you witness around this on that path of reclaiming the sacred masculine. Like when does a man remember their service and devotion to the feminine in a healthy way? I know for me on a, uh, this is why I'm asking the question that's sort of reflective, like on a, on a path of reclaiming the sacred feminine inside a woman's body I remembered that that was missing and went after the sacred feminine. And then I had been over relying on a, on a version of masculinity that was um, hierarchical, you know, like I worked in leadership. I I knew how to run shit. I knew how to get shit done. It was, um, but I ended up like really depleted and sick and, and so I had been in this overly masculine orientation. So I reclaimed the sacred feminine and then like way down that path. And it was like a while <laughs> I, the light bulb went off and I was like, Oh, I need to get right with my own relationship with the sacred masculine, because that is now what is missing in my life. And I can't have healthy relationships with men or healthy relationships with, you know, the sacred aspect of God uh, or the sacred masculine aspect of God until I get right with that sacred masculine. And then that inside of me. So I'm wondering if you've witnessed that kind of reclamation of the sacred feminine in men on a, Mm in men's paths or any, any response? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, to answer that last question, yes. I think that I've seen, and I, I, w- I would say that I've really been on this path for the past 10 years is where I really kind of went through my hardships and woke up to what it would require for me to be the best version of an adult I could be. And in that time, I can definitely say there's more people who are who are willing to honor and revere the masculine, the sacred masculine and feminine in every person within themselves. And then within, you know, in, inside of all the other people that they are in relationship with, you know, for me, I think you also asked, where did I discover that? Where did I reclaim my reverence for the sacred feminine? Uh, it had a lot to do with healing the relationship with my mom. I had a lot of, uh, had a lot of beliefs about my mom that weren't very healthy. Uh, long story short, she, she survived breast cancer when I was nine years old. And 
Uh, prior to that, she had lost a child before having my brother, and she was she's basically been clinically depressed my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I never really accepted that about her. And in my 20s, when I started to think like I knew everything, I tried to fix her and tell her what she should do and not really accepted her. So the healing really came around being able to just accept where she's at and mm-hmm. to just love her for who she is and where she is and not to offer unsolicited advice or tell her that she's, you know, a burden on me, not letting her be a burden on me and just being able to love her for where she is. That did a lot for me because it it connected me back to my tremendous gratitude and appreciation for my mom. I mean, that's one thing that we all share in common is we all have a mom. So Mm. I realized that I didn't really love and respect and appreciate my mom fully for for giving birth to me and carrying me around for nine months and squeezing me out into the planet. Um, similarly for mother earth, you know, just reverence for the earth and everything that she provides abundantly. And then being able to see my wife give birth to my daughter and my son, just a whole new appreciation for the feminine. Cause mm. you know, maybe not all women or, or feminine folks are mothers, but you all possess that same energy. So I think so much of it has to do with really respecting and, and connecting back to a loving and wholesome relationship with mother, whatever that mother mm. is. Mm. Beautiful. Thanks. You brought that right home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes it works like that. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it does. Awesome. Would you please let listeners know where they can find you, find your podcast, hear more about you? Yeah, everything for the Rising Man movement is at risingman.org. It's the Rising Man podcast, and I've got a number of programs and offers for men. If you have men in your lives, you can direct them there. You can also find me on Instagram at Jetty Azuma or Facebook. Just look me up Jetty Azuma. And um, also rising man has its own handle at rising man movement on Instagram and Facebook. So check us out. Jetty, thank you for being here. Thank you for walking in the world the way you do and for your leadership. Honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me and lots of love to all the ladies out there. We got your back. Thank you. Thank you again, Jetty, for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and for doing your strong, strong work in the world. Uh, It's appreciated and it's making such an impact. Um, Like I said in the beginning, let us know what you thought of this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Women, you can hop on over to the Sacred Remembering Facebook group. It's free. Start a conversation. Ask a question. We love to hear from you. We're building community. We are staying close to one another in these times. We are talking about the things that matter. And we are just sending love. So in love, this is Sarah signing off. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path and women are rising now together. You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected. And here's to your path of sacred remembering.